Hey folks, have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and vegetables may actually lower your risk of cancer. Think about that for a second. That's really important. Hopefully, you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. But if you're like me, you probably don't have the time to do that, right? So maybe you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. I take it every day. Sometimes I put it in a shake. Sometimes I put it in my egg white omelet in the morning. Field of Greens can help prevent, treat, and cure cancer? No, but it can powerfully help you audit your next checkup. Your doctor will notice your improved health or you're going to get your money back. Here's the most amazing thing about it. I started using Field of Greens a year ago. My cholesterol is down. My blood sugar is down. My weight's down. My health is up. My sleeping patterns are better. My metabolism is up. If you want to experience what I've experienced, go check out Field of Greens. Jump into the ring here. You're going to get an enormous benefit. And it's so simple. Single scoop, a couple of seconds, healthy lifestyle all day long. Now, thanks to our good friends at Brickhouse Nutrition, Field of Greens is going to give you a 15% off discount plus free rush shipping. All you got to do is go to fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS for your discount. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. Fieldofgreens.com, promo code JUSTNEWS. Go check it out. Hello, America, and happy Tuesday. The world awaits to see if, for the first time in American history, a prosecutor will be indicting a former or sitting president. That decision rests in the hands of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, a George Soros-funded left-leaning prosecutor who has, in his first year, reduced a lot of the serious violent felony crimes in his city to misdemeanors. But in the case of Donald Trump, he may be looking, again, he may not do this, but if he does it, he's reportedly looking to upgrade a misdemeanor whose statute of limitations has already expired into a felony to pursue Donald Trump. We're going to have a lot of discussion about that today on the show. Why? I have a good reason. Because Bob Costello, the mystery witness who appeared yesterday before the grand jury and threw a wrench in some of the prosecutors thinking with evidence and emails and other documents, his testimony and documents he brought to the grand jury. He's going to join us for the first part of the show. He has some blockbuster claims to make about his interactions with former Trump organization attorney Michael Cohen, the disgraced lawyer. He's been convicted of giving false statements to Congress and other crimes. Bob Costello, well-respected New York lawyer, he's going to tell us what he told the grand jury yesterday and what the documents show. This is a very important witness, and his silence, the breaking of his silence, comes because Michael Cohen actually executed an agreement to free Bob Costello of any attorney-client privilege. So he can talk freely about what Michael Cohen told him. I think the thing you want to listen for is, did Michael Cohen make any comments about the payments of Stormy Daniels? Did he say Donald Trump was in the loop? Did he say he knew Donald Trump had done something wrong? Listen to what Bob Costello says in the next half hour. I think we're going to have a really important conversation with him. And then later tonight on my television show, Just the News, No Noise with Amanda Head, I've got a special report tonight. I'm really super excited about it. It's with our great partners and friends at Heritage Action for America. You're going to hear the whole show later this week. I'm very excited to present that to you. The focus is on the parents' rights movements in this country. It's about taking our 
education system, putting it back in the hands of parents, rooting out things like ESG, critical race theory, DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion philosophies. These are ideologies, not education platforms. And across this country from Florida to Arkansas and Texas, all the way up to Virginia and all around this country, including Montana, other places, there is an effort to stamp out ideology and return schools back to teaching students how to think, not what to think, and allowing parents to be the flight stick that is pushing that in. So that show is going to air at 6 o'clock tonight, Real America's Voice. That's Channel 219 on the Dish Network, Channel 240 on Pluto, on the Roku streaming devices, of course, in many other locations, including on the Just the News site. Well, in advance of that, we're going to give you a preview today. We're going to bring aboard a state legislator from the great state of Florida, Representative Kaylee Tuck. She was the sponsor of a bill that just passed the House last week in Florida. So the Florida State House had passed 8327 to create sweeping education savings accounts for parents. Basically, universal school choice makes school choice portable and allows every parent to have the decision where to spend that money, whether it's a charter school or a home education, special education. This is a ground-peaking piece of legislation. If it gets through the Senate, Ron DeSantis says he's going to sign it. Well, Kaylee Tucker is going to give us an on-the-ground update about what's happened, why this law is so important, and why it may be a model for many more states like Oklahoma, Arkansas, and others that are doing similar things. So today we got two great guests, Bob Costello, Robert Costello, a well-respected New York lawyer who became a witness in the criminal case against President Trump in New York for Alvin Bragg yesterday. He's got some blockbuster news to share with us. And then State Representative Kaylee Tuck from Florida about the great movement in this country from parents to restore their rights over children, to return the education system to teaching children how to think, not what to think, getting ideology out and the basics of arithmetic, math, and reading in. We're going to have all of that in this special edition of John Solomon Reports, a podcast from Just the News. We're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Bob Costello right after these messages. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. Our next guest, one of the most respected lawyers in all of New York, a former deputy chief of the criminal division of the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York, and now a witness who testified yesterday in the Alvin Bragg investigation of Donald Trump. Joining us right now, the great lawyer, Robert Costello. Mr. Costello, good to have you back on the show. Hi, good to be back. Good morning. How are you? 
Good morning. All right. So you had a day before the grand jury yesterday. Tell us what you tried to convey to the grand jurors and to the prosecutors. Well, uh, first of all, I contacted both uh, the prosecutors and Trump's lawyers that uh, after listening to Michael Cohen make statements on TV that were directly contrary to what he had told myself and my partner, Jeff Citron, back in 2018, Um, I decided that I couldn't sit on the sidelines and that I had to bring these uh, statements to the attention of both sides, to be fair. And I did. I notified Trump's people. I sent them a whole packet of information, probably about four inches thick. Uh, I did the same with the DA's office. And then I asked the DA's office if I could sit down and have a meeting with Alvin Bragg, uh, because I thought it would be good for Alvin Bragg to see this material and to talk to me one-on-one, and to look me in the eye and see whether I was a credible guy. Right. Because I said, this guy is risking his reputation and the reputation of that office on a very flimsy case with a really, really bad guy as a witness, Michael Cohn. Uh, The DA's office set up a Zoom call on Friday uh, with about, I don't know, six or seven ADAs, two executive assistants, but no Alvin Bragg. When I said to them, are you going to have Alvin Bragg in this meeting? And they said, well, he doesn't usually come to these meetings. I said, this is not a usual case. It's undoubtedly the most famous case in the United States at this moment. You're trying to do something unprecedented. I said, his reputation is at stake. Don't you think he ought to at least sit in and take a look at me and see whether I'm credible or Michael Cohen is more credible? But in any event, he didn't do it. Uh, so I told the DA's office uh, that I had information that back in April of 2018, myself and my partner, Jeff Citron, who knew Michael Cohn from Columbia Grammar and Prep, a pri- prestigious private school in Manhattan, where Baron Trump went to uh, grammar school, uh, that, uh, and Michael Cohn was sitting on the board of that school, believe it or not, at least for a period of time. Uh, so Jeff Citron knew him for six, for 10 years and, uh, Citron contacted Michael Cohn shortly after his apartment and his office was raided by the FBI pursuant to a search warrant and mentioned that one of his partners, namely me, uh, used to be deputy chief of the criminal division in the Southern district. Would you like to pick his brain? You know, it was a friendly gesture more than anything. Uh, I didn't even know about it. And the next thing I know, Citron tells me that Michael Cohn wants to meet us. So uh, because Cohn's apartment was either being renovated or had water damage, I don't remember exactly what he said. He was living at the Regency Hotel. So he said if he came down to our offices, the press would follow him and it would be a circus. So could we come up to the Regency? We did that. Um, Now, remember, I've never seen this guy, never met him, had no idea who he was. We walk into a conference room on, I think it was the second floor of the Regency Hotel, and Michael Cohn is standing on one side of the conference table. We sat down on the other side and he's pacing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. It looks like the guy hasn't slept in three or four days. Um, he's clearly manic. Um, he actually goes over and pulls the shades down because he's paranoid that somebody in a building across the way might be able to look into the conference room. Um, In any event, he starts to talk about how his life is ruined, uh, his family life is ruined, his social life is ruined, his friends won't talk to him. 
clearly this has really gotten to him. He is fully manic as he's going back and forth. And then he tells us that the weekend before, I don't remember what day of the week this was. It might've been Monday or Tuesday. He said the weekend before he was up on the roof of the Regency hotel and he was seriously contemplating jumping off the roof. In other words, he was willing to commit suicide to get out of legal problems that he saw forthcoming. So he said, I've got to know from you guys, what can I do? What are my options, et cetera? And then he stops and he pauses for a second, points at us and says for the first time, and he says it 19 to 20 more times during that two hours, I want you guys to understand, I don't give an F what I have to do. I will never spend a day in jail. And then he starts to tell us his story. So what are my options? Where, where is my escape hatch? How do I get out of this? Can I get a pardon? Can I get a commutation? Can I cooperate? So uh, my partner, Jeff Citron, is a civil lawyer and knows nothing about this area. And I start talking. Uh, Jeff had introduced me and told uh, Cohn, you know, that I was an assistant U.S. attorney. And uh, he mentions Rudy Giuliani. Now, Rudy Giuliani was not representing President Trump at this point in time. And so Cohn says, do you know Rudy? I said, yes, I do. Did you work with Rudy? I said, well, actually, I was his student assistant in 1971. We were never actually in the U.S. Attorney's Office at the same time, but we've been friends for a long time. He then says, I love Rudy. The boss, meaning President Trump, uh, uh, loves Rudy, blah, blah, blah. And then he continues with his story. So what are my options? How can I get out of this? Uh, so I, I explained to him that the pardon and the commutation were out of the uh, out of the question because he hadn't even been charged with a crime at that point in time. So I said, so now we're talking about cooperation. And Michael, you know, this is uh, this is like a bargain and sale event. You have to have something to sell for the U.S. Attorney's Office to buy. If you give them information that's somewhat helpful, they will reduce your sentence for whatever it is that you did. I swear to God, Bob, I didn't do anything criminal prior to meeting President Trump. That, of course, is a lie, as proven by accounts one through seven of the indictment he pled guilty to. Um, but he then, I then said, well, look, if you have something really important, and clearly, I said, Michael, no offense intended, but the Southern District of New York doesn't give a S about you. You are a bump in the road. Clearly, that road is leading to Donald Trump. They think that they can and should develop evidence against Donald Trump. And so they're going to bring as much pressure on you as they possibly can until and unless you see them as the only escape route for you. You're talking about an escape hatch. That is an escape hatch, because if you were to cooperate and you had what they need, and clearly you know what they need, then you can probably get a non-prosecution agreement, which is like getting out of jail free. You simply walk away. So I have to ask you, what do you have on Donald Trump? And he paused for a second and said, I don't have anything on the Trumps. I said, Michael, don't make a quick answer because I said, the people in the Southern District of New York are very smart people. They obtained a search warrant for a lawyer's office and, and home. And that is extremely difficult to do. And then I explained to him the process by which the Southern District had to go, that they had to go to Maine Justice to get approval, and therefore they had to present proof to Maine Justice that uh, there was good reason to search a lawyer's office. 
even even somebody like Michael Cohn. So I said, Michael, these people are smart and they think you have something. So I will ask you again. This is your get out of free, get out of jail free card. This is better than suicide. Think about this. Do you have anything on Donald Trump? And this is the first time he changes his answer very slightly only to bring God into it. And he says, I swear to God, Bob, don't have anything on Donald Trump. That line, I swear to God, Bob, probably came up again another 10, 15 times during the two hours because I kept on bringing up the subject because this guy clearly, I mean, he looked like he was ready to jump out of a window when we met him. And he said he was on the roof of the Regency the night before. An interesting side note, when this information was transmitted to uh, Rudy Giuliani, he called Donald Trump and the two of them said, let's get Michael help. Now, if they saw if they saw Michael, they'd be doing that. That's what they did. Uh, so in any event, continuing on with the story, as Michael talks about whatever it is he was talking about, literally every minute and a half, he'd stop, point to us while standing on the other side of the table and pacing and say, I want you guys to know, I don't give an F what I have to do. I will never spend a day in jail. And occasionally he'd pound the table saying that, you know, as if the message wasn't clear enough. Basically, Michael Cohen was saying, I'm willing to lie, cheat, steal, even shoot my mother in order to stay out of jail. Do you think that a man with a mindset like that, who is contemplating suicide to escape his legal problems, wouldn't give up Donald Trump if he actually had information on him at that point in time? Of course he would, because he was desperate. Yeah, and it would be his get-out-of-jail card, right? Yeah. Well, now it's a different story because Michael Cohen, in fact, went to jail. He was sentenced to three years. He only did about a year because of COVID. But in that year, he sat and plotted. Now on the revenge work. for any. He blames other people for anything that happens that's wrong in his life. And that's what he's doing. Uh, and I couldn't sit there and listen to this guy go on the Internet and in the, in the uh, say the things that he was saying because it was contrary to what he told us at his most desperate moment. And if I was a prosecutor, I'd sure like to hear that. Now, the only reason I can say any of this stuff is that Michael Cohn waived the attorney-client privilege. I got a call in 2019, about a year after the event I'm talking about, from the U.S. Attorney's Office in downtown Manhattan, Southern District, and they said, we'd like to talk to you about your representation of Michael Cohn. I laughed at first, and I said, can I presume that you're sitting there with a copy of, the attorney, of uh, an attorney-client waiver? And they said, you presume correctly. And my response was, I can't believe he's that stupid. Um, and I say that again today. This is the dumbest thing this guy could have done for himself. But in any event, uh, they sent it to me, and then they sent us a document request, and that's why we put together that package of documents that you've now, now seen, and the package of documents that I gave to the district attorney's office here in Manhattan, and that I gave to President Trump's lawyers. Um, we sat down with the U.S. attorney's office for two hours, and two assistant United States attorneys and two FBI agents. And after, after two hours, 
these guys were laughing their tails off because I was explaining all of those emails that you have. And from that point on, the Southern District of New York never did any business with Michael Cohn. This is a lesson that the Manhattan DA's office should have learned, but they didn't. They looked at the same alleged offense, a federal election commission violation, and they didn't do anything about it. And they enforce federal laws, not the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. So uh, this was a crazy adventure. So now I go, I said all of that as a prelude just to explain that the assistant district attorneys knew the evidence that I had that was exculpatory and were required to put me in front of the grand jury. Well, when they put me in front of the grand jury, they did everything in their power not to ask me questions that would uh, elicit what I've just told you. And I got frustrated in there because they put out of the 321 or 330 emails, they put six into evidence, six out of 331. Absolutely absurd. And none of those had anything to do with the exculpatory information. So I got into an argument with them right in front of the grand jurors. I held up the packet of 330 emails and I said, why aren't you giving this material that I gave you? Why aren't you showing this to the grand jurors? I said, they're entitled to, to see this, to read it, to know day by day what Michael Cohn was doing at this time that's in question. And they said to me, well, it contains uh, inadmissible evidence. I said, really? Like what? Hearsay? Yes, hearsay. I said, well, then you'd be interested to learn that these records were made and maintained in the regular course of business. And it was the regular course of business to make and maintain records such as these by my law firm. You know what that makes these records? Business records, which are an exception. Which are admissible, right? They get past the hearsay, right? Yeah, an exception to the hearsay rule. So it is not inadmissible evidence. You should give this stuff to the grand jurors. Now, I don't know whether subsequently they did. I don't think they did because it was quite clear that they did not want me to tell the grand jurors the exculpatory information that I had. So what did I do? I simply ignored their question, whatever it was, and I gave speeches telling the grand jurors exactly what they should have heard and should have been elicited by the DA's office. But it was a struggle. It was like pulling teeth. Um, and I could see, as I told them, I saw at least five grand jurors nodding their heads yes and most of them sit there and they just you know stare straight ahead there's no reaction at all but and i think three or four had masks on so you couldn't see any reaction but at least five or six were actively nodding their heads like yeah you're right you're right you know but you know what they did after i left the grand jury room i don't know but i certainly gave all the information to the grand jurors despite the lack of proper questionings from questioning from the DA's office. All right, folks, don't go anywhere more with our exclusive interview with Bob Costello right after this commercial message. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, folks, welcome back. More with our exclusive interview with Bob Costello right now. Now, you memorialize so many of your conversations with Michael Cohen and, of course, your partner. It seems to me that there are moments where you just thought it was important to write down that he knew nothing wrong that President Trump had done, that he had no dirt on President Trump. He was adamant about that, right? And did he ever talk in specifics? Did he ever talk in specifics about the financial transactions involving the two women? Uh, well, actually, we only talked about one, and yep. that's Stormy Daniels. Right. And I said to him, and that's covered in the memo that I, that's an astute observation, by the way, because right after that Regency hotel meeting of two hours, yeah. when myself and Jeff Citron walked out on the street, I said to Jeff, this guy is trouble. I said, he, he's not telling the truth about a lot of things, things that I personally know as a federal prosecutor. I, it cannot, the stories he's telling can't be true. I said, this guy is going to be nothing but trouble. I, and now it was Jeff's client. I said, Jeff, if I were you, I, I wouldn't bring him into the firm. I, you know, this guy is just going to, he's a bad penny. He's, he's going to come back to haunt us. And boy, was that prophetic. And that's why I was making all of these memos of important events, because I didn't trust Michael Cohn. What did he tell you about in the one substantive conversation you had about Stormy Daniels? So that same day in the, in the Regency, so I said, well, he said, the only thing I ever did was NDAs. This is during that Regency meeting. I said, NDAs with who? He said, Stormy Daniels and the McDougal woman. That's the way he phrased it. I said, well, tell me about Stormy Daniels. How did you get involved in Stormy Daniels? He said, I got contacted by a lawyer for Stormy Daniels who had allegedly derogatory information affecting uh, President Trump. And I, uh, he said, I didn't believe the information. But I knew that this was a situation that would cause embarrassment. So I negotiated with this lawyer and we worked out a, an NDA, he called it, which is a non-disclosure agreement. He said for the payment of $130,000. And I said, and did you get that money from Donald Trump? No. Did you get it from any Trump organization? No. I said, did you take that money out of your own savings or checking? No. I said, well, how'd you get the money? He said, I took out a HELOC loan. I said, why would you take out a HELOC loan to cover something like this? He said, because I wanted to keep it secret. If I took money from my account, my wife would know about it. I didn't want my wife to know about it. I didn't want Melania Trump to know about it. He said, that's why I did it that way. Now, if you're going to do it that way, that means... You're keeping it from Donald Trump and Melania Trump. And if you understand the character of Michael Cohn and how he latched on basically to Donald Trump and the Trump organization, you understand that he was always treated as an outsider. He wasn't accepted by Trump's inner circle. When Trump went to Washington with all of the people that surrounded him, the one person they left behind was, guess who? Michael Cohn. He was bitter about that. He wanted to go to Washington, too. He thought he could be attorney general or something, which is absurd. But he's the kind of guy 
that sees a, an issue like this and he negotiates and sees whether he can solve the problem it, in quiet, in, in quiet. He doesn't tell Trump or anybody because if he fails, then it's just a, it's the same problem it was before. But if he succeeds and quashes this as he did, then he can go to the boss and say, boss, you know, you could have had a big problem here. This woman was making allegations that would have been embarrassing, but don't worry about it. I took care of it. And that's exactly the character of Michael Cohn. That's what he does. When you were before the grand jury, were you able to relay the story that Michael Cohen told you about the HELOC loan and keeping it quiet? Did the prosecutors give you a chance or did you volunteer it? No, they didn't give me a chance. I volunteered it. Yeah, absolutely. They were getting very frustrated because I was volunteering. Yeah. It's a contemporaneous you know, statement. He's he's confiding in you as a lawyer. He later then gives you an attorney-client privilege waiver, right? No, 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 no. He didn't give us the attorney-client privilege waiver. In fact, he was on uh, MSNBC last night, Michael Cohn, denying that he ever <laughs> that he ever signed an attorney-client privilege waiver. So when I went on Tucker last night, right, I held it up to the camera. I saw it. I mean, this guy is denying something that physically exists. He didn't give it to me. He gave it. He gave it to the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District. They sent it to me. Wow, that's pretty extraordinary. Well, here's another thing. Think about this. If for some reason the U.S. Attorney's Office says to Donald, uh, to uh, Michael Cohn, I, in order to complete your cooperation, we need you to waive attorney-client privilege for Costello. At the same time, he's represented by Steve Ryan at McDermott, Will and Emery, a big firm in Washington, D.C., and also Guy Petrillo, a former chief of the criminal division of the U.S. Attorney's Office, who's got a small firm here in Manhattan. If I'm the prosecutor, I said, I don't limit the waiver just to Costello. I want a waiver for the other two lawyers, too. But, you know, the DA's office here did not know that Michael Cohn had waived the attorney-client privilege until I told them and then sent them a copy of it. Now, that's stunning because that shows a total lack of due diligence on their part. In addition, I told them about what I've just said about maybe you should check with Steve Ryan down in Washington, D.C. and Guy Petrillo here in Manhattan because they, they may have received a waiver of the attorney-client privilege at the same time. I guess you guys didn't do that, huh? Now, Michael Cohn had been to the DA's office 20 times by his own admission, plus two visits to the grand jury. I said, so on 22 occasions, you were with Michael Cohn talking about these matters, and he failed to tell you that he waived the attorney-client privilege? A pretty material fact you guys missed, isn't it? These emails are very carefully cataloged. Obviously, you made them, you cataloged them first for the U.S. Attorney's Office, which then decided that they were done with the case. Are all of them in the possession of Bragg? Were you able to get all of them to Bragg, or at least to his prosecutors? Well, I don't know about Bragg. Yeah, right, right. The DA's office. The yeah. DA's so, right. So they have all this. They have the waiver. They have all of these things. They have the interview that I did with the U.S. Attorney's Office in April of 2019. They have an interview that I did with the House Intelligence Committee staffers in May of 2019. And they have the uh, contemporaneous notes of the, meet the first meeting at the Regency Hotel. They've got a lot of stuff if they bother to read it and digest it. But it was clear to me, first of all, they didn't turn over any of that material to the grand jury. So I was sitting there at the table, holding it up in the air, waving it in front of the grand jurors, telling them, you should demand this. I gave this stuff 
to Trump's lawyers and I gave it to the Manhattan DA's office. Why is he keeping this from you? I'm, you know, I, I shouldn't have to fight like that. I'm coming in as a neutral witness to tell the truth about what this guy said almost five years ago. And the DA's office did everything they could to ask me about things other than the material events. So I had to volunteer. It's pretty extraordinary to see this. And you memorialize some of these really important conversations. There's a little bit where Tom Arnold, the actor, is involved with Michael Cohen. What was going on there? You provided, it looks like, some text messages between the two of them, right? Well, yeah, the, Cohen sent that to me. Uh, what happened was one day on TV, you know, we were watching, <laughs> I don't know, Fox or any one of these stations. And uh, Tom Arnold basically sabotaged uh, Michael Cohen in the lobby of the Regency Hotel, and then went on TV and made all sorts of outrageous claims that he and Cohn were going to get Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. And Cohn said, you know, so naturally, uh, I, I think what happened was actually Rudy Giuliani, who was representing President Trump, called me up. And I remember this well now. He, I was having lunch with a good friend of mine at uh, Bobby Vans in the city. And uh, I got this call, and he said, Bob, do you know anything about this Tom Arnold stuff? And I said, no, I don't know what you're talking about. So he told me. He said, would you get in touch with Michael Cohen and find out what's going on? This is bizarre. And it turned out to be bizarre. Uh, but that's what that interchange is about. That's why uh, to prove uh, that he wasn't colluding with Tom Arnold, because Tom Arnold went on nighttime television and was making all these crazy claims, Michael Cohen sent me the text messages between Tom Arnold and him. And that's why that's in there. That's fascinating. In the key meeting, the day of the meeting where you and Michael Cohen talk about the Stormy Daniels transaction and the fact that he had really had no incriminating or dirt on Donald Trump, that's at the Regency Hotel. And that's in June. Is that right? June of 2018? No, April 17th, I think, 2018. All right. So that's the key, because that's the one where you get into the most detailed discussion. And it's long before. Well, listen, Michael Cohen is a serial liar, but even a serial liar tells the truth once in a while. And when a person like Michael Cohen is in extremists, he's ready to kill himself. That's the one time that he's going to give up Donald Trump if he had something at that point in time. But he didn't. And now... He's making some of this stuff up. He's embellishing. That's what he's doing because he figures Donald Trump is responsible. I'm not responsible for going to jail, even though seven of the eight counts happened before he ever met Donald Trump. He still blames Donald Trump for it. So he wants to make Donald Trump pay and he wants to be a big shot. That's what he always wanted. And, you know, the left wing media is giving them a chance to be a big shot. It's a pretty remarkable moment in history that we're having a conversation about indicting a president for a misdemeanor crime whose statute of limitation has expired, combined with a federal felony crime for, that wasn't pursued by federal prosecutors where the statute has expired, from a prosecutor who has spent most of his first year downgrading felonies for serious violent offenses, but now wants to upgrade a misdemeanor in a political case. How do you think, I mean, you dealt with the New York jury poll. You missed one point. Did I? <laughs> what I missed? Relying upon a convicted perjurer. Even if you don't believe any of the stuff that I've told you about the many, many lies that Donald, that uh, Michael Cohn uh, expressed to us, which you can find in all those emails, he's a convicted perjurer. I don't know any reasonable prosecutor that 
would rely on a Michael Cohen under these circumstances. And you can't make this case without Michael Cohen. Exactly. You can't. But how do you make it? You can't. Not without Michael Cohen. Because Stormy Daniels doesn't know anything. She never talked to anybody. Right. Maybe she talked to her lawyer. That's about it. Yeah. It's pretty extraordinary to see where the evidence. You know the jury pool in New York. Everybody says New York's blue. We know that. But you've had to try cases there, You both as a, a defense attorney and as a successful prosecutor. How is a New York jury going to look at this when they get to see the full evidence? Well, even though they start off with a preconception that Donald Trump is a bad guy just because of the politics, uh, New Yorkers are pretty savvy. And they're used to uh, BS artists like Michael Cohn. And when they see all of the evidence, which they would have to see, ultimately, even though the DA is trying to keep it hidden right now. Uh, I, I think that I can't see them convicting a former president of anything. I can't see them convicting any person, even if it's not Donald Trump, if it's John Doe, uh, under these circumstances. And you know if it was John Doe, the DA wouldn't even consider bringing a case like this. Oh, there's no doubt about it. One last question, because I know some have seized upon this. There's a lot of discussion about what Donald Trump thinks about Michael Cohen being relayed to Michael Cohen. And there's the question of a pardon. It's pretty clear from the memos that I've now reviewed that you sidebarred the pardon saying, hey, it's premature. You're not charged with anything. So having a conversation about pardon is silly. Why did Michael Cohen want to hear that President Trump wasn't mad with him? He's insecure. <laughs> it's that simple. He's an insecure guy who knows, based upon the interactions between Michael Cohn and the, and, the, and the Trump circle of people, that everybody looked down on this guy. Uh, he sensed it. He knew it. When they all went to Washington and he remained in New York, that was proof positive. So Michael is insecure. And in a position like he was in, he's always a threat to you because he can make some stuff up. And that causes a lot of problems, you know. Anybody like Michael Cohen is willing to lie. I'm willing. <laughs> I don't give an, uh, an F what I have to do. I will not spend one day in jail. Well, a guy like that is announcing he's, he will do anything to avoid the circumstance that he actually wound up in, where he had to go to jail. And so when he was in jail, guess what he was thinking about? Donald Trump. And how do I get even? And how do I get famous again? And that's where he's on the revenge tour. It's, it's that simple. Pretty extraordinary moment that that's where this case is going to pivot on is his testimony when he's already admitted that he's lied in prior investigations. So the question will be for a jury, which lies right and which one's false? And juries never like to be put in that position, it seems. And I tried to give a, a gentlemanly way out to the district attorney's office by saying, let me have a meeting with Alvin Bragg and present all this evidence to him in private. In private, I didn't want to get dragged in front of the grand jury. Uh, and they turned that down. I mean, what kind of the total lack of common sense. It's really interesting. You have a lawyer willing to give you all of this evidence and sit down with you in private so you can assess, is this guy credible? Right. And if he is, then maybe we just quietly move away from this case. Instead, knowing there's a gaggle of reporters outside the building and everywhere, he, said, he decides that I have to go to the grand jury. Actually, he didn't decide it. The, uh, Trump's lawyer sent some sort of letter or email to the DA's office demanding that I be put before the grand jury without telling me. I didn't know that they were going to do that, and I never saw whatever communication they had with the DA's office. And when I asked the DA's office, can I see a copy of whatever it is that they sent? 
no, no, that wouldn't be appropriate. <laughs> this is ridiculous. It is remarkable. And just uh, so for people to understand, uh, you represented Rudy Giuliani, obviously, very successfully. And, but you've never been a, a lawyer for President Trump. Is that correct? No, never. For, or any of his organizations or any of his family members. And never in this thing were you ever acting on behalf of the president when you were dealing with Michael Cohen. You were trying to represent Michael Cohen and Michael Cohen only, correct? Absolutely. I mean, why, why else would I bring up the possibility that, you know, you have a way out here, Michael, if you cooperate against Right. Uh, Donald Trump. You know, if I was operating in favor of Donald Trump, I wouldn't have said that. But I'd be violating my oath as an attorney. I was representing Cohn and my obligation was to tell him what his legal options were. And I did that. And he told me he didn't have anything to trade. I'm willing to kill myself, but I'm not willing to give up Donald Trump. Really? Come on. Who's going to believe that? Yeah, those are pretty important. And, and they're captured in the in your notes, which I think is so important. I think when people look at the notes and the contemporaneous emails, they'll see that this is being captured in real time. And people say, well, why do you keep booking a client? But actually, you don't keep booking a client. You're keeping notes so that you keep yourself refreshed on where things are. That, this is like a normal process, right? These notes are all checked in and they have Bates numbers on them. It's the normal process of a lawyer. Except in this case, I never trusted this guy from the first minute I met him. And my instincts were very good as history proves uh, out you know it's a pretty extraordinary character in american political and legal history there's no doubt about it well mr gasello this is always an honor to have you on the show we'll be watching closely see if the prosecutors take note of all this evidence and i want to thank you for the time and also for allowing us to review the documents which is very important no problem thank you you have a good day. Thank you. You as well, sir. Folks, when we come back from the break, our exclusive interview with Florida State Representative Kaylee Tuck, one of the sponsors of the historic education reform bill that made it through the Florida House last week. Universal education savings accounts, all sorts of reforms to put parents in the driver's seat of their children's education. We're going to have that great conversation with Kaylee Tuck in a few minutes. And remember, tonight, a larger, extended version of this conversation on Real America's Voice, 6 o'clock, a special brought to you by my good friends at Heritage Action for America. Very excited about that. You won't want to miss that. So tune in right after the commercial break with State Representative Kaylee Tuck right after this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. You may have seen on the Just the News website last week a very important 
development in the battle for better parental rights, better schools, better school choice in America. The Florida House passed by a large majority, I think it was 83-27, a bill that creates sweeping new reforms in the state, particularly education savings account expansions. A lot of people cheering that on. A lot of people saying the Florida model is going to become the model for so many of the other states in this great country. Well, joining us right now, a state representative on the front line of that debate, someone who helped get that legislation through. It's on its way to the Senate and on its way to the governor's desk, I'm pretty sure, when we're done. Joining us right now, State Representative Kaylee Tuck from the great state of Florida. Representative, great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. This is a really monumental move forward for parents' rights, for children, and the opportunity to pick the school that best meets their needs. There are a lot of different elements of this law, a lot of different innovative ways of doing it. And I wanted to see if you could walk us through some of the ones that are most important to you. Yeah. So I think the, the bill has two main components and we're, and we're pretty proud of both of them. So the first component is expanding the eligibility for these scholarships. Now, Florida has been doing school choice for, for 25 years. So we didn't really go from zero to a hundred, but, but we're expanding the eligibility so that if you are a Florida resident and you're eligible to be in a K-12 program, then you are eligible for one of these scholarships. And one of these scholarships can send you to a private school of your choosing if they accept scholarships, or um, we also open it up to homeschool students. Um, you know, in, in the wake of COVID, we saw a lot of- Yeah, that's a big one. It's, it's huge, and it's great for, for parents that truly want to con- uh, customize their child's education because, I mean, a, a classroom setting may not work for everybody. So being able to customize your child's education is is huge for parents, especially, you know, in with um, children who may learn differently, may need a quieter setting or something of that effect. And the second thing we did is um, we are eliminating the wait list for the FES UA scholarship. So that was um, that was created for students with disabilities, special needs, special learning learning um, uh, needs, and we've had a wait list. Jeez, I think as, as long as the scholarship has been available, the current cap is 26,500, and there's about a 9,000 student wait list. So with the increase that we did, we will completely eliminate that wait list in year one. Um, it's a pretty heavy list, but we're really proud of, of that because it's it's been such a, a big need for so long. We want to make sure that we could fix that year one. Yeah, such an important one. As a dad of a special needs student, I know how important that is. That's going to be groundbreaking for a lot of parents and really meaningful change. There is always a perception that all education freedom legislations are opposed by teachers and the teachers unions. Of course, the teachers unions often do, but a lot of teachers are cheering on some of these reforms. You've got a lot of teachers in the fold, you know, backing the momentum here. There's sometimes a disconnect between the unions and their rank and file teacher members. Has that played out at all in Florida? It really has. And it's interesting. I come from the perspective, my mom is a public school teacher and she has been for God bless her. Florida. Um, and she's just incredible. And I asked her about this legislation when I originally filed it. And her perspective is whatever gets parents more engaged in their child's education is a good thing, um, you know, regardless. And it's all about the child, not necessarily the, the building that the child is in. So um, that was her perspective. It's been interesting to have those conversations. And we, we did try to accommodate the, the big question and, and the big, um, I guess, conversation was the public schools and the private schools being on a level playing field. 
So in one of the last committees, we actually amended language onto the bill that's um, deregulation language for public schools. Yeah, that's a big moment. And it's funny, each step of the way, it went through, I think, four committees, and each committee added its own imperature. There was a lot of buy-in. At the end of the day, there was a lot of consensus in the people who voted for this bill because everybody had a seat at the table. Kind of an important way to create education reform, right? Get the widest possible support for it. Sure. Um, you know, we, we actually, we ended up um, having four committee stops in total. We were originally set for three. Um, and then with the amount of amendments we had, we had to tack on the education quality committee as well. And just making sure everybody had a seat at the table. I mean, if, if somebody was fundamentally against the concept of school choice, then it's hard to get folks there. But I think by and large, people agree with the idea of school choice and parental choice. It was the, the nuances that, that needed to be changed. And we can certainly work with that. And we did. Um, so we ended up with bipartisan support. And we're, we're really proud of that support. Yeah, that's so important. And it was. It was such a large passage. The Senate is next stop. Any concerns there? You think it's going to get through and onto the governor's desk? Yeah, I don't see any concerns. Um, the, the House and the Senate versions were, were tracking fairly similarly throughout the entire process. We, um, the deregulation language that I mentioned for public schools, we amended that in the last committee stop, which was the major difference in the House and the Senate version. So I don't get any issues there. Yeah, such an important stop. One more stop on its way to the governor's desk. There are a lot of takeaways, and I think a lot of people look at Florida and say there's so much in Florida to emulate, whether it's in the tax base or education approach. What are some of the things that you think other states will take a look at this bill and say, you know, we got to do something like that. That's a good idea for our parents, our students, our teachers. There's some lessons in here, I think, that really translate to any state in the country. Yeah, I think number one is giving parents the opportunity to customize their child's education. Um, you know, if you listen to some of the testimony, even some of the representatives that voted against the bill, you heard them say, I have three kids and they all go to different education systems because it works differently for them in the same household. Um, so I think the customization is is a huge win. And I think it's something that all states could follow. Second thing I would say is is the fiscal element of it. Um, in Florida, we, like I said, we've, we've had school choice um, for, you know, 20, 25 years now. So we, we kind of had little things figured out here and there, but figuring out the, the fiscal impact, you know, I, we have great staff and, and I think we figured out a way to make it to where we're fully funding school choice and we're fully funding public education. And I think that's a huge win in both arenas. Yeah, yeah, such an important conversation to have. Putting the parents back in the driver's seat, I don't think a lot of us ever thought we'd ever have to face it, right? It would seem to be so common sense to think, well, parents, of course, have a say over their children's education. They should be the supreme decider of those things. But the last 10 years have created a lot of temptation to chip away at that in some states, not Florida, in fairness. But there are people now that they call me I'm around the show or if we're talking out in public or at an event, people say, do you think there's a need to get some of these parental rights ideas ingrained in constitution so they can't be easily taken out in some knee-jerk moment in the future. Your thought on the idea that maybe parents' rights need to be enshrined right up with the First Amendment right and the Second Amendment right in our constitutions? Yeah, you know, I, I think that is spot on. I think it's a conversation we need to have because we never thought we would have to have the conversation of protecting parental rights, but here we are. Um, it's interesting, a little bit off topic, but on the same wavelength, um, 
one of a fellow representative is running a constitutional amendment for the right to hunt and fish, which we never thought would be a conversation, except when other states tried to um, pass legislation prohibiting it. So I think the parental rights argument is is the exact same way. You know, we we have a healthy majority right now, and I think we'll keep that for years to come. That being said, the pendulum always swings. So um, making sure to enshrine those rights is going to be very important in the future. Just a remarkable moment to think we have to do that, but we do, I think. I think for future generations, a lot of people now see that as an important part of our destiny in our future. You sponsored this from the beginning, HB1. You got helped get it through. There are a lot of lessons for those who try to build consensus so that you really do have bipartisan consensus. What was the biggest learning lesson that lawmakers who got behind this bill and ultimately grew it to, you know, 83-27, very few things pass in America with a 75-80% margin. What were some of the lessons that other law legislators trying to get similar consensus might learn from the process you guys played in Florida? You know, I would say just um, dispelling the false narratives early was a big part of this. Um, so one of the one of the narratives we had that was that was patently false was the idea that these private schools could be these pop up private schools that open for six months, take scholarship money, and then you know go about their business. Well, in Florida, we've had a um, a private school eligibility statute since scholarships have been in existence that had spelled out you know five or six pages of requirements the private school has to meet in order to accept a scholarship. And just those types of rumors, the cost, um, you know, I know we got compared to Arizona and the anticipated cost was $4 billion. Well, when you break down the cost of that, you had all kinds of misnomers and, and false calculations and things of that nature. So I would say dispelling the the false narratives early and then getting folks to understand where those false narratives came from. And once we got folks to understand that, that was a huge hurdle that we were able to cross early on. There was another amazing thing as I followed this. You really personified the beneficiaries of this program. There were lots of video snippets and ads of just everyday parents and everyday children who would benefit from the changes here. Giving a face to legislation is such a powerful tool in helping people understand they're real people you're helping here. That was one of the things a lot of people were going to remember from this campaign. How beneficial was it? How cool was it that so many parents were willing to do that? Oh, I think it was amazing. And it really speaks to the success of the programs in the past and in the future, especially ones that had kids that had already graduated from high school and gone on to college. And they really didn't have to advocate anymore because it didn't benefit them anymore, but yet they did. And that's so important to the success and, and the future of scholarship programs in Florida and throughout the country. And it was really neat for our members because we had a whole um, you know, you saw the, the online videos and the campaigns that that helped us kind of send out the message. But then when they also appeared in committee and you saw that this wasn't just a, a talking head, it was an actual person that lives in Florida and benefited from this program. And I think it was it was huge for our committee members and, and huge for, um, you know, the ones that were actually asking the questions and taking the vote. Your kids, your choice. It was such a powerful four words that just really got the point across. Putting parents in the seat, creating choice, 
benefiting the children. One of the great ad campaigns in recent political policy issue really, really made a big difference. Before we go, Kaylee, what's the best way for people to follow what you're doing? I know you're pretty prolific on Twitter. You're doing a lot of important work. What's the best way for people to stay in touch with you, the work you're doing, the great work that the Florida legislature has underway right now? Yeah, I would say um, Twitter and Facebook are my two main platforms. Um, that, that's what resonates with my district the most. Um, but also myfloridahouse.gov is a great resource. It's very user-friendly. If you're tracking bills, wanting to, to follow where bills are in the process or um, you know committee agendas, things like that, is a, it, that's a great tool as well. I followed you all through this incredible journey of this legislation at Kaylee Tuck 2, at Kaylee Tuck 2. Bookmark that, follow that, folks. You're going to get a great dose of real wisdom from the great state of Florida, from this great state representative. Representative Tuck, great to have you on today. Congratulations on a big victory. We'll be watching this all the way to the governor's desk in a few weeks, but great honor to have you on the show today. Well, thank you so much. And like I said, thank you for having me. It was it was great. Yeah, such an important conversation, a historic conversation going on in Florida right now. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Justin News. I'm so grateful that you joined us today. So excited to have this conversation first about the historic criminal investigation ongoing in New York. And then, and of course, that was with Bob Costello. And then the historic parents' rights movement that's sweeping this country with Florida, one of the epicenters of that movement. State Representative Kaylee Tuck brought a lot to bear. And tonight, be sure to tune in at 6 o'clock Eastern Time on Real America's Voice, a very powerful special we're putting on. I'm really excited. This is one of my favorite conversations to have had. The special report is entitled preserving the prosperity for our future generations, preserving the prosperity for our future generations. We've got an all-star lineup, including the former education secretary from Florida, who led a lot of the reforms there, Andrew Bailey, the Missouri attorney general that's bringing some major litigation against school districts that are teaching woke ideologies, Janae Strachey, the grassroots chief for Heritage Action for America, one of our sponsors, she'll be on there. It's a really great show, and it'll follow up on the things that we just talked about in the last block with our incredible guest, State Representative Kaylee Tuck. All right, now, before we go, I know everyone's worried about the economy, the banking instability that manifested in the last couple of weeks with Silicon Valley Bank and others like it. Well, one of the things that keeps happening is the Fed keeps raising rates because it's the only tool the Fed has to keep inflation under control. And it's not working, right? You can't spend your way out of inflation. You've got to reduce spending and get spending levels back to the proper size for this country so that inflation reigns back in while our policymakers are struggling with that, right? Clearly, the stock market's not happy. Banks aren't happy. Bank shareholders aren't happy. The global markets aren't. Some European leaders really took a shot at Joe Biden. So you need to protect yourself. Got to think about number one, your retirement, your pension, your investments, so that your family's protected. And the way you can do that is to hedge against inflation by owning gold, whether it's physical gold or silver in your safe or through an individual retirement account, an IRA in precious metals where you can hold real gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Those are your options. Now, the question is, well, why did I get started in that? I didn't even know you could put gold into an IRA. Well, you can. You can buy gold and get a free safe to store it in with a very special offer from our friends from Birch Gold Group. For all qualifying purchases up through March 31st, they're going to ship a free safe directly to your door. Just text the word Just News to 989898. That's Just News to 989898 to get your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free safe. Now, Birch Gold has an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau and thousands 
I mean thousands of satisfied customers. Text Just News to 989898 for your free info kit on gold and to claim eligibility for your free home safe by March 31st on all qualifying purchases. Again, one more time, if you want to get in on this, hedge against inflation, get a free safe, make your portfolio insulate it with gold and silver. All you got to do is text the word Just News to 989898. All right, folks, that wraps up today's show. Thank you for listening. So grateful for the guests and the conversation. Be sure to tune in to the TV special tonight and Real America's Voice and to justthenews.com tonight. Nick Javis and I are going to have a big exclusive on what's in all those documents that Bob Costello shared with the prosecutors yesterday. There are some pretty jarring statements in the recollections of Bob Costello and the emails between him and Michael Cohen. You're going to want to check that out tonight at justthenews.com or download the Just the News app and check out what we're doing there. There's an app on Android app. We love it. All right, folks, that wraps up this edition of John Solomon Reports. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, God bless you. Have a great night. And thank you for listening and reading and being a part of the Just the News family. Thank you.